0: I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner podcast. Today, I'm going to talk to Kyle Spears. Kyle's a licensed independent mental health practitioner and certified marriage and family therapist in Omaha, Nebraska. He specializes in helping men with trauma, masculinity, and depression. Last year, he started a YouTube channel and a podcast and has a website where people can go to get resources for issues that relate to trauma and theology. Kyle will also be a speaker at the CLIMB Small Church Leadership Conference in Dallas in December of 2021. Listen today as Kyle talks about how his background and calling led him into the field of trauma therapy. He talks about stubborn hearts and stubborn wounds and turning your misery into ministry. All this and more on this episode of the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I'm really happy today because I've got Kyle Spears on the program. He's a licensed independent mental health practitioner and certified marriage and family therapist in the state of Nebraska. He works in private practice at the Attachment and Trauma Center of Nebraska utilizing EMDR in working with complex trauma, PTSD, and DID. As a marriage and family therapist, he works to help heal marriages and complex family issues. He also specializes in helping men with trauma, masculinity, and depression. Last year, he started a YouTube channel and a podcast and has a website where people can go to get resources for issues that relate to trauma and theology. Kyle is currently working on his first book that will provide a basic understanding of trauma to equip both ministers and members. He's also working on a book with Michael Burns called The Big Lie that will address the aspect of racial and intergenerational trauma. He was baptized as a senior in high school and has been a disciple for almost 20 years. His wife, Christy, works as a, as a physician assistant specializing in cardiothoracic surgery. Together they're raising their son Shay Christopher, who's two years old, and Christie is due to give birth to their second child, Amaya Renee, in December. Kyle, welcome to the
1: program. It is great to be here, brother. Thank you for having me.
0: It's great to have you. We've never met, but I've I've been seeing your work from afar. I've seen your name pop up so many different times, and it's where
1: where <laughs> where are you living? Yeah, I live in Omaha, Nebraska. Okay, that, Omaha, Nebraska. that's where.
0: Are you neighbors with Warren Buffett?
1: So he's here. He is in the city <laughs> limits, and ironically, I've I've been getting into his stuff recently. He's uh, he's a genius oh my when it gosh. comes to economics and investing. He really is. He really is. Well, can you
0: give a little bit more? How did you become a Christian?
1: Sure. So I was one of those those. I think there's different Kingdom kids. There's different types of Kingdom kids. It's kind of which Kingdom kid are you? And so I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I kind of went to a Catholic Church, but also I was raised in Pentecostal. So I was I mean, two sides of the extremes, really, I grew up in extremes. And uh, that's part of what motivated me to become a Christian when I <clears throat> it was my sophomore year in high school. That's when I really started to, to really uh, to, to kind of get caught up in God's orbit. And uh, I looked for, <laughs> I would go to churches uh, on Sundays for so uh, my sophomore year, I started for like uh, a couple of years and it wasn't until my, my senior year in high school that I had a friend who invited me to a teen ministry service and I walked in, it was so different. I was like, what is this? I've never seen anything like this. Teens taking notes and being fired up and I'm like, what is, this? so about three months later after that, I was baptized into Christ.
0: Wow. So, okay. So you didn't come from our family churches, but just got invited from a different faith background
1: exactly and it's kind of weird you know it it, to think about a sophomore in high school out there looking for God yeah that's pretty amazing. really a needle in a haystack and and God made it obvious that this is where I could that's right this is where I could be with him
0: okay well how did you meet your wife
1: sure yeah so I'm originally from Kansas City and uh, well I'm I'm on the Kansas side of Kansas City you can be on the Missouri the Kansas Mm -hmm. Kansas side but um I I came up here to to preach. Actually, I Greg Maretsky (laughs) invited me up. He's like, Greg is one of those master geniuses. He's always seven moves ahead. Oh, yeah. Wherever you think he is. He invited me up to preach. And I see this cute And I mean, just unbelievably cute spiritual woman singing up on stage. And I took note. And (laughs) later, I think it was that summer later that year, I was like, Oh, I'd like to go on a date and go back up. So he had me come up and speak again. He's, he's a genius man. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I started taking interest and then we started dating in 2012 and we got married in 2012. So we started dating in January. We were married by that December Oh my gosh. of the same calendar year.
0: Wow. That's awesome. Hey, if you know it, you know it. I mean, for my wife and I was just, we met in a little over a year later, we were married and I'm I'm so glad. Some people kind of go, oh my gosh, you know, this is like a shotgun wedding. I go, absolutely not. When you know the right person, it's it's the perfect timing. Absolutely. Yeah. I can agree more. Well, let's talk about trauma. What got you interested in this subject of trauma?
1: Well, I think it's a couple things. I think it's my life. Like I said, I grew in I grew up in extremes. My my dad wasn't there growing up. A whole lot, my mom and him fell out. And as a result, I think I was just kind of one of those uh, kids just through life who didn't really have much of an, an internal sense of identity. I always, I always felt like God was there. Uh, but as far as a real commitment to him, obviously, I didn't make that until my senior year in high school, but I went through a lot, we moved around a lot, I've been through a lot of financial stuff, I've had lights cut off, I've had utilities taken off, I've had groceries dropped at the end of my driveway. And so I've struggled economically, but also I got horribly, and people don't believe me, but I got horribly teased. And when I say horribly teased, it was bad. And so <clears throat> I think all of that just kind of shaped this part of me that if I ever got into a relationship with God, I think he pretty quickly would uh, kind of, I, I would have the, the skills or the interest or whatever to, to really go into to healing. Because you know when you when you go be a therapist and you get training and so forth like that that's kind of one of the things they tell you is like that's a motivator for for people to even go into counseling is they want to figure out how to deal with their stuff. Mm. I, I think that's kind of true, and um, I think even after becoming a Christian, I mean, I I, I had some pretty full diapers, <laughs> and so I, I could kind of see how the trauma was continuing to play itself out even as a Christian, and then I go into counseling. And then it's years and years of working with people. And then I come back to trauma because I got invited to, into, to join a practice that that is their specialty. That is what they do. And so as a result, I, you know, I start getting specially trained, and this is what I've been doing ever since.
0: Okay, so it's a combination of personal background, impact of trauma, a feeling of calling by God, that you feel like, hey, I'm going to share the challenges that i faced and try to help other people and then coincidence or or god's providence there to be called into that practice
1: oh yeah and and then the crazy part about that is that so i kind of hit a cap theologically you know i went back to do seminary education back in i think 2017. so it was like four years where i was just in i started rocky mountain and i ended up at harding and so layering layering in the theological aspect of things has also been very important. And that's been a, a quite a quite a hard process, challenging process, because when you're taking something like trauma and theology, that that merge, is that merger is in its infancy stages. And so it's been it's been a, it's been quite an undertaking. Because primary research is just sort of happening now when it I mean, psychology and religion, we've got tons of data on that, we've got tons of research and books on that. But trauma and theology, that's the next frontier. That's where things are going, and that's part of where you're seeing a lot of attention being drawn.
0: Absolutely. I mean, that's it's funny you say that because it's like the spirit of the time, zeitgeist. I mean, I Mm. I got a text from someone in my church saying, Hey, you got to listen to this guy's uh, YouTube, How to Talk to a Minister, just (laughs) just a few days ago, independent of this. And so, uh, I, people, and if I could get a dollar for every time I've heard the word trauma in the past three months. I mean, hmm. it'd be a, it'd be a tidy little sum, uh, just in, in different conversations. It is very hot right now. That word, it's, yeah. it's definitely a buzzword. Can you define trauma for me?
1: Yeah. So I'll, I'll, let me, let me define it biblically and then I'll define it psychologically. Uh, trauma is a lack of Sabbath on the inside of a person. You know, you can observe Sabbath, you know, Joel, Pete and I, he's one of my faves, like Joel, (laughs) Pete is just an incredible man. I've got he's, I just love Joel. Um, But he, he teaches Sabbath, and there's so many aspects of Sabbath, there's a cosmic aspect of Sabbath, there's a communal aspect of Sabbath, and then there's this individual component of Sabbath. And when we go through a situation, we lose trust with God, or we lose trust with people, something in us gets shattered. And even in a communal sense, trauma is one of those things that ruptures the basic social social tissues within society. And so trauma can happen on many different levels. Genesis 1, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. That there's trauma there on a cosmic level. Uh, we see that that God has, you know, there's there's a lack of Sabbath as it relate as it relates to the cosmos. Um, but now we see is reconciled through Christ. Uh, psychologically, I would say trauma is you know, your brain wants to create a beginning, middle and an end, you go through a situation, and your brain wants to create resolution. Well, what trauma does is it creates the beginning in the middle, but it doesn't allow your brain to create the resolution. And when mm. our brain does not create resolution, it creates a reflex. Mm. And that reflex becomes overdeveloped, and at some point will become obsolete. So you have this mechanism in you, like, let's we'll put it this way, trauma puts a volume knob on an experience, and it turns it way up. You don't have the ability to turn that down. Mm-hmm. And so you go into certain situations and you just get flooded. Mm-hmm. And you're like, man, I'm awesome at work. I'm mm-hmm. awesome at parenting. But in this one area, this these couple of areas, I, I puddle, mm-hmm. I lose my agency, I lose mm-hmm. my competency. And So trauma can make people feel very de skilled.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's very disorienting.
0: It's it's such a popular term right now. And I've heard it so often recently regarding why do you, why do you attribute it to that? I mean, why do you feel like it's so prevalent right now, especially, I mean, of course in my context is the church. What do you think? What what are your thoughts on it?
1: That's a great question. Um, I think we want to, Rob, if I had to, I, I thought about this we want to name things. Mm -hmm. And what I have found is this is that once you name something, something can kind of become a buzzword, because you've provided a language for an experience that someone hasn't been able to name. And what you find with people is there's two things people want a way to name something. The other thing that people want a way to work through is their story. I think there's a lot of people right now, who've been through, like, we have a culture of individualism, hyper individualism, We have a culture of like grit right even in many many churches kind of this grit theology that is like good but i think what people are realizing is that they're more human than they ever thought they were and as people realize that they are human and that they make mistakes and being human is scary because you can hurt other people and you can get hurt we need language for this weird place we find ourselves where we don't have certainty right and we don't have ready answers. And we've been addicted, I think for many people, we've been addicted to certainty. Mm-hmm. We've been addicted to, you know, this fundamental reading of the text that just gives us answers and bolsters our faith and it's single minded and it but then there's this other aspect when you go and read the rest of scripture, you read Ecclesiastes, mm-hmm. you read Job, you read Psalms, you read Lament literature, and you're like, wow being stuck is a part of being human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so sometimes there's, I think, and I'll just say this, that there's a difference between having a stubborn heart and a stubborn wound. Mm. And I think a lot of people are realizing, Yeah, I got a stubborn heart, and I need to work on that. But I also have a stubborn wound. It's been here a while it hasn't changed. I've thrown everything at it. And yet this thing that I really want to heal isn't healing like I think it should. Mm. So I think that's kind of drawing people's focus. And I think just in in generationally, there's a lot of people in the builder generation who just have that collective kind of somber at times stuckness, and they're they're trying to find a language for it. So I found that, you know, I've been able to maybe kind of provide a language for that for people, right?
0: Certainly, and
1: I got to tell you, Kyle,
0: following your your discussion last night with Wade, you are a master with words. I mean, you, Mm. the sound bites, the analogies, you know, my diapers were full. You've, you've either got a stubborn heart or a stubborn (laughs) word. I just go, it's, it's really uh, descriptive and at times difficult to, to follow. Mm. What, what can you bring it down to earth? What's the most common form of trauma That you see reported in your practice that you're just dealing with on a regular basis where you go oh yeah here it comes again
1: yeah so this is a really simple analogy so when you look at when people get injured emotionally and when they get attachment injuries it's usually in their kidhood so i'll give a great example the other like last month or the month before i was standing in the back with uh, my son and we were standing in the back door and he started crying and I look down and I'm like, what's going on? I think he's just whining. Well, his little fingers are caught in the door. Oh. And the little screen door and little hinges. And so you know, <laughs> as, a, as a dad at that point, I'm just like, I mean, he's two, right? So right. I'm like, Oh, no, and then it's, you know, it kind of it dented in his, his fingernails. Right. And so I called my wife. And she's like, Okay, l- let me talk to mom. She's also a PA. Long story short, the concern was, is that if it injured the nail bed, then it would permanently affect how his nail would grow in for the rest of his life. Mm. Very similar to if a child breaks a bone too close to the growth plate, Mm. it will permanently affect how that thing grows. Mm. Trauma is very, very simple, and very, very similar to that. What I've noticed is I've continued to investigate and research. Is that when I get people who come to me, some people are like, hey, I've got a nasty hangnail like my son. My son, the nail actually grew out, but he's got a nasty hangnail. I want you to think about like halfway up your hangnail or your nail, you have this part of it that's like halfway torn. Anything could snap it off, Ugh. pull it off. Yikes. Sometimes there's a part of a person that, in terms of the part of them that grows, that part of them gets damaged. And so their resiliency and their capacity, very similar to if it gets injured at the nail bed, is permanently affected. And that's something that you're seeing widespread and almost, you know, as you look at, you know, different populations of people who just don't have that resilience, complex trauma and and the different types of trauma, what they typically do is they affect a person's resiliency, their ability to do repair, their ability to heal. And so it's not something they can just kind of get themselves out of. And so that's one of the hardest things about trauma. You know, to your point, what's the most common thing? Well, it's things that happen in our kidhood. And then we miss developmental milestones. And we learn that there's a part of us that it doesn't function correctly, because it got injured, as it relates to how it grows. And And that's, that's part of why it's the trauma is a different you have to take a different approach because you have to help regenerate the part of a person that creates resilience right
0: i just know for myself like there are times when something will happen that's upsetting and it just kind of it starts to grow in my mind it's hard Mm. to calm down it's hard to it's it just starts to dominate my thinking and, and it's like hey And just saying, don't think about that just makes it (laughs) even even worse. I don't even know if it's in the same realm of what you're talking about. But um, I know as a minister, there's a lot going on. And and that's kind of what I wanted to focus on here today, because you are coming to the CLIMB Small Church Leadership Conference in December, which I'm so grateful for. I'm just so thrilled that you're speaking what do you hope to communicate to small ministry leaders? You've got a slot there, and I know a lot of people are looking forward to it. What's going to be your angle there?
1: Well, it's going to be very similar to what I've been doing recently. This uh, past week, I was in Kansas City. We had a Heartland Regional uh, Workshop, and I was the last speaker. And I just encouraged, encouraged the leaders here. Uh, I recently did a Minister's Health Webinar where I just gave a very, you know, like 10,000 foot view, view of trauma. Um, when you look at pastors, it's not the recent or the current that they score the highest. It's in the things that happened in the past that mm. they scored the highest and that's per of research. And so with pastors, it's what happened in the past. Typically statistically and research wise. Um, okay. And can, that's can, part of I'm what sorry. they have. Can you go ahead? Can
0: you, I don't, I didn't follow that. Like, what do, what do you mean by that?
1: So when you look at the, the in terms of like, so when, a, when, a, when someone's reporting trauma, okay, when you, like you take a minister, in terms of right now, if you were to ask a minister, right now, are you experiencing trauma? Have you recently, within the last year, experienced trauma? They're typically going to report lower numbers, but where they report the highest numbers are as it relates to what happened when they were young. Okay. They have more instances of traumatic experiences. So when I when I when I'm talking to pastors, you have to very graciously remind people that their kidhood still matters. <laughs> um, you, you like you take Joseph, and this is who I talked about the, the leaders meeting, I'll just say briefly, Joseph, a lot of Joseph's painful experiences happened when he was a kid. He's 17 when he got sold into slavery. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at him, when he was prime minister, you're not going to get a very good profile, or sketch of what he's been through. You got to go back, and then you realize his family of origin. He has very deep wounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you look at Genesis thirty-seven through fifty, and and it's and, and again, that's like a lot of pastors, and that's what the research shows. Mm-hmm. So anyway, when I at these at these the conference that I've got coming up, I'm really looking forward to just helping ministers dip their toe <laughs> right. into how trauma affects those in ministry. It's going to be very high level, and we're going to keep it simple. Mm-hmm.
0: I have a feeling you're going to be flooded with requests for appointments after that conference. <laughs> I think oh, I, I know that ministers are really going through it. Um, I've got a question about that because what I find confusing as a, as a layperson in this whole subject of trauma is in my mind, I think about trauma as like car accidents, mm. getting mugged, um, molestation as a child, um, you know, I talked to Doug and Angela Wenz a few mm. weeks ago, and they're just talking about their childhood, their parents being in prison and being abandoned, going into an orphanage, you know, drug addicted parents. I mean, I go, now that's trauma. Yeah. And what in in my my ministry practice, I've I've heard, I hear people throwing the word trauma out there in context. I go, I I never knew that that would qualify as trauma. I, I it just it's surprising to me. I'm like, okay, you're defining that as trauma. I've never heard that, that as trauma before. Can you, can you speak to that?
1: Yeah, I think it's very similar that you see with anxiety and depression. We, you know, people, they get something that they think they know and then they they use it to reference again, to try to name their situation. I think that trauma is one of those buzzwords that people can overuse it, misuse it just like anything else. And I think that is happening. I also think that trauma is very much underreported, right? There's, there's, there's different categories for trauma, but for the most, if you are breathing, you have been through traumatic experience, right? The right. question is, is what does your resilience look like after? Take nine 11. So the attacks on September 11th, half of, when you look at New York, half of the population that went through September 11th, they returned back to a baseline level of functioning for the most part, about 50% of survivors. The other 50% that you see that experienced the attacks of September 11th, they actually developed more of a chronic and more of a complex PTSD response. Now, the question is, why is it that certain people become resilient and in other situations, people become stuck or they even become resentful? And I think we have to talk about resilience and I don't know that we have time today, Mm -hmm. but resilience, we have to, if you understand resilience, true resilience, right? Resilience is about resistance and vulnerability, right? We don't have time to get into it too much today, but that's, that's part of what it, because you, you, you're you gonna go through it. The question is is when you, the next part of it, what, what kind of resilience, how is your resilience gonna be affected? Going back to my son, if that damages the part of my nail bed that affects how my nail grows, then I'm not going to find that I'm going to be resilient after that type of thing. Other people come to the table with different experiences that they've been through that set them up to return to a baseline level of functioning. It's just a mixed bag and you never know what you're going to get. Right.
0: What advice would you give to a minister who's listening to someone and is is who's expressing, "Hey, this is you you traumatized me or you you caused me trauma or whether it was the minister himself or the person is sharing about trauma, you know, I, I think it's been great. Albert has come into town and is, is I asked him to come in as a consultant and he's been giving good feedback. And one of the things that he shared is, um, you know, Rob, you need to work on your listening skills mm. and it's been, it's been good. You know, it's been, I,
1: I, you're doing a great job today. <laughs> well, I got a long way to go, but
0: how do you listen to trauma without minimizing it, but at the same time, sensitively speaking to it and trying to help a person, you know, if you're not a professional like yourself, how do you, how do you treat it with the sensitivity it
1: needs? Um, so that's such a good question, Rob, until you're, I think until your ears are trained, you'll listen, but you won't hear. Like, so when I'm listening to something first thing, like, so when you go through therapy school, they teach you how to do like, everything, like, you have to learn how to lean forward, lean back, like they inflect your voice, They teach you all these different things. And one key that I have found that's been I think, very telling is what you're doing with your face, your face tells people what your ears are doing. Hmm. When I come home, sometimes my face is just tired, and my wife will be like long day yep. (laughs) <laughs> because you you have to use your face when you listen. Yeah. <laughs> if I tell somebody something, I'm like, "Hey, Rob, I'm I'm really struggling. My wife, she's she's we're having our second child and I've never felt more vulnerable in my life." I've never felt this type of vulnerability. And let's just say you're looking down at your phone or you're you have this vacant expression <laughs> on your face. <laughs> I'm going to feel like, "Hey, man, I don't this isn't the guy." Um, I think the other thing that's important, right, because we, we have to use our body when we listen, is we have to listen. We have to create a way to, to get to the threat. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways that I disarm I've got a, a YouTube video that three tools for heated discussions Ooh. is when I talk to people, I want to know a couple things I want to know, what do you feel like I don't get? Mm-hmm. Right? Because you don't need to fight me to have your feelings, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I. You don't need to fight me to have your feelings. The other thing I want to know is what's the most threatening part? Okay, because again, threat is about trauma, right? Trauma creates this unfortunate trigger around perceived threat. And what's the biggest threat? So if I'm talking to someone who's just, they feel like they got beat up by leadership, what's the biggest threat? Well, I feel like there's no one to hold people accountable. There's no account, like there, there's this level that once you get to, no one can hold you accountable. So you don't feel safe. No, I don't. You got to get to that. Mm-hmm. Like, at it, it, some point, it's got to circle back around to this person is very much unable to, to deal with life on life's terms for themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you can have concerns, that's fine. But you don't feel safe. You feel threatened. And when I'm listening to people, I'm at some point, we're going to get there. Mm-hmm. Okay, I get that this person and that person what but you don't feel safe, you don't feel heard. You don't feel listened to. So anyway, that's 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 part of how I start that. Was that confusing? Hopefully that was
0: it sounds like above my pay grade and something that, you know, I'm not sure I could I could get there, but I, I think that um, I certainly think that trying to identify where it's coming from is really mm. important. I like the idea of using your face and being careful because I've had appointments where people I thought I was listening and then the person <laughs> later went away and said, that didn't go well. Wow. And and so that's that makes me feel bad. It makes me feel sad. It's like, oh, wow, okay, what am I going to have to do better next time? And I, I think that that's a challenge for ministers. Now, let, let's just flip the script here and talk a little bit about ministers. I know you're going to talk more about this at the conference, but sure. who does a minister talk to when they're going through a pandemic, <sighs> racial issues, disruption in the church zoom people <laughs> disconnected a third of their church or or more just floating out there not showing up regularly these are just you know common issues that are, that are going on and wondering are people going to come back uh, a real sense of powerlessness and lack of control in in Absolutely. a good way you just don't you don't know where your flock is or how they're really doing who do they talk to? How do they deal with that?
1: Great question. I I, I recently did an interview uh, reaching men, and um, one of the things I asked, because the, the guy I did it with, he he works with pastors a lot, I, I go, hey, can you kind of help me out with this, this framing? He's like, yeah, well, pastors are like politicians. They're, they're like, we need our pastors and our politicians to be perfect in order to sleep at night. <laughs> And I'm just like, I laugh like you. And then I'm like, how sad is that? How, how sad is that? And I think that I, I feel very sympathetic to ministers. There's an article that I, I recently came across. And the article title was when dying churches abuse pastors. And what it gets into is that when 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 people in the church, when they are experiencing you know, changes in the world, what happens is that they take those and it's a very seismic shift and they, they feel like they're becoming obsolete. And what they take is they take those feelings and then they lash out against pastors as a result of the shifts that's hap- that are happening in the world. Right. So pastors can't go anywhere. And, and oh, by the way, I just want to add one more beautiful thing. Now, as a pastor, more than ever, things can be weaponized against you. You can have a sermon from 20 years ago that you weren't even thinking of and someone. And and so I, I care about that. I'm, I'm probably going to start maybe kind of talking to pastors about some of that, but regardless, who do they talk to each other? Number one. But I think this aspect of is okay. Who do we talk to is about whether or not you can experience safety with a person, right? Like for me, safety is about being able to be human, right? You know safety is about being able to not just make a mess but be a mess (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and to be a process not just a mess but i can be a mess and a process the question is so who do you talk to who helps you to feel safe enough to be who you really are right right so that that who you know anyway that that, yeah go
0: ahead oh that just hits home Mm. and i i feel that very strongly and i know that many many ministers are feeling the same way like how did I become responsible for everything that's happening bad in the world? <laughs> and it, it's challenging. And I appreciate your attitude. And and the thing that I I really respect about about listening to you, Kyle, is you're spiritual. You're balanced. I, I think you've got a great balanced approach in seeing seeing different sides of the same issue. And I really appreciate that. That's um, deeply appreciated. From, from me as, as, a, as a spiritual leader, and I'm sure for many other people, I look forward to hearing more. Absolutely can't wait, and look forward to getting more, more content from you.
1: How I appreciate you... that. Can, can I ask you a quick question? Sure, go ahead. What do you feel like as, you, you say lay, but clearly you, you have the mind of a minister as well, what has, been the, what has been your experience of what it's like to try to be a shepherd during this time? Because I mean, you're, you're very connected. I was going down your podcast list of all the people you've, I'm like, you, you've, you really kind of know, I think you really have a good pulse of what's going on for people. What's it been like for you to kind of minister during the pandemic?
0: It, it, you know, it's, it's disorienting. It's definitely one of the most challenging times of my spiritual life. Mm. Uh, it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, it, it, it's to the point where like, okay, I'm going to need to get someone else here to take a look just to get perspective because there's no reference points. I feel like we are in a, the Sahara desert of spirituality with no reference points to kind of judge where, where am I, where should I be? And that is super challenging to me as a minister. It's like, am I doing good or am I doing bad? Am I, am I where I should be or where, you know, what should I expect? And, and, it's difficult for me to just go, hey, I'm just going to coast until things clear up. Mm. And um, so, you know, uh, th- those are some of the feelings. And that's why I wanted to get, you know, outside voice. I talked to Bruce Williams. Hey, can you come in and give me some consultation? Albert has been doing a great job. He's just been meeting meeting with people. Uh, Kelsey Hahn has, has come into town um, recently while he's waiting to go to China. That's helped to get perspective but at the same time i i think that part of it is the god's just putting us through a real challenge and i'm going to have to kind of bear up under it and and it's funny you mentioned jeremiah and lamentations earlier because i've been reading through those in my quiet times and man they are so depressing i mean it is just <laughs> it, it's like oh this i don't know if this is helping me or not but it in one way it's it's like Okay, you got to go through these times, Rob. Yeah. You're going to have to just bear up under this. It's not fun. You want to just, you know, just not be here, but boy, you're going to have to just bear up under it and do the very best you can and be be godly in the midst of it. Let me go ahead and, and just ask you just a couple more questions. Are there any positive experiences where you go my trauma therapy has really helped this person i really have seen my life make a difference without using names of course
1: sure sure so in my practice but also in the church i'll I'll say this when i i I, my clients are kind of honest with me (laughs) i've been with trauma work you see people over an extended period of time because you you really can't you really can't work with the trauma until you've built significant trust with a person and you have to build a knowledge of this person. Um, and so people all the time just tell me, Kyle, and every week, I appreciate you, I appreciate. And part of it is, is because you help people do the things they don't want to do. Mm. And there's something that is very similar to discipling, that when you're disciple people and you help people face things that they don't feel that they can face, but somehow through a podcast or an interview, you know, if I talk about it too much, I mean, I probably will start tearing up. But they're like, it really made a difference. Mm. And honestly, what's surprising to me, sometimes the kid you not Rob, the fact that the channel is even growing and making a difference at all. Mm. Because I sometimes feel like man, trauma and all of that, it it just, it hurts your brain, and it hurts your heart. Mm. (laughs) And it's hard to talk to people about it, because it's so new. And but then when people get it, and they buy in, and then they realize that God's bought in on it. Mm. Like the father, the father. This is on the father's heart. He's not unconcerned. Then they realize that God has a plan. God wants to take, God wants to take our, our our misery and turn it into a ministry. And if we don't allow God to use our our misery for ministry, our misery will become a mystery. And so when I see people go from misery to ministry, man, I I, I that's where I realize that this isn't my ministry. This is God's ministry, and He's invited me in to His ministry. <laughs> So that's what excites me.
0: <laughs> you really need to write a book. You you've just got your chapter headings all set from <laughs> from misery turn into a ministry. Oh my gosh. Okay, that's fantastic. Amen. Any advice for a person who wants to make this life count, who who thinks, "Okay, I I want to give my best to God. I want this life to when I look back and when I go to heaven, I want to feel like I've got no regrets." I made this life count.
1: Well, you brought up Warren Buffett and I recently started getting into investing. So I'm 38. I'm younger. I was baptized in 01. It's been about 20 years since I've been a Christian, but in years and years and years, people like you got to invest, man. You got to take care of your money. Your money needs to work. Your money has legs and you have your money standing in a corner. And so recently, I'm just like, you know what, it's time. And so I've been listening to Warren Buffett. And he said something that I'm pretty sure he took it out of James, but whatever. He's like, in his experience, somebody asked him is like, Do you have regrets? And I mean, you know, research on 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 this type of issue that you have regrets of omission and commission, right. And so for him, he said, what haunts him is like uh, Fannie Mae and Amazon. He didn't act on Fannie Mae and, and Amazon. And he You know i went we have the conference here the shareholders conference i went to that and i remember him saying that again about amazon i think that if you want your life to count you got to be really careful about what type of regret you want to live with right um because it's the things you don't do that haunt you later and even with me right now i mean i'll be honest i'm making less money than i ever have because my practice i only see two days a week but i'm growing this ministry and i'm pushing the chips and i mean god's blessing it over time but there's kind of this idea of later in life, will I regret that I didn't act and you know join this ministry that God's calling me to. I don't want that. I don't, you can't do anything once it's done. And so you got to take risks. Some will work out, some won't, but you won't have regret. And I think that's worth it.
0: Wow. Well, thank you so much for joining the program today, Kyle. And it's, it's just a pleasure to meet you.
1: I appreciate you having me on i i was scrolling through and i was like I, I saw your name and i was like i've heard of you i've heard the podcast and i was like i and so just by reaching out and you were like you were on my list i was just like that is a god thing bro thank you for <laughs> thank you for having me absolutely you've
0: been on my list a long time and i'm really happy i, I just you you're definitely a man of the times i mean mm-hmm. this is it, it's interesting how God raises up, just like in the book of Judges, there's different times that he raises up certain people to address certain needs, and it's clear that he's working in your life right now to to use you. And in different people, like Joel Pede, you mentioned him, and the whole issue of Sabbath. I, I, thank you so much, and I really look forward to the having you at the CLIMB conference. Are, are you... Planning on being there for the whole conference? Are you going to be there just for fellowship?
1: Yeah, I'll be there for the most part. Uh, So I come in Thursday, I'm there Friday, Saturday, and then I leave uh, Saturday night. So I'll be there except for Sunday.
0: Okay, terrific. Well, I want to just put in a plug for anyone who's thinking about going to the CLIMB conference. First of all, let me just say this. You're going to benefit no matter whether you're a small church leader or not because there's going to be so much good content there. I mean, the whole first day on Friday is all about spiritual renewal, and all of the programs are taught by just super gifted and talented experts in the field of whether it's trauma or a spiritual renewal or, I mean, uh, marriage. I mean, it's just going to help you so much. I'm looking forward. I'm going to be up there front row just taking notes. It's going to be fantastic. And then the second day is geared towards helping your ministry in 2022 take off and having a plan and going in there. And I, I just think being around other people that are going through the same thing that you're going through is going to make such a huge difference. So whether you want to be a leader in the future or you just desire, or you want to go on a mission team someday, or you're self-supporting, please come. It's not too late. It's going to be in Dallas, December 2nd through 5th. Just go to RobSkinner.com and register. And I look forward to seeing you there in Dallas. Thanks again, Kyle. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining the Rob Skinner podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button And let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.